0: Hello and welcome to our Catholic News podcast. Now, our focus falls today on the Holy Land and particularly Gaza, as we reflect on the 11-day war uh, just in May 2021 that had such a devastating impact on the region and, of course, particularly the people of Gaza very much to talk about here today. Now, just weeks after a rather fragile ceasefire, the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem, his beatitude, Pierre Battista Pizzabala, visited this small strip of Palestinian land from the 14th to the 17th of June. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Sami El Youssef, the Chief Executive Officer of the Latin Patriarchate of Jerusalem, and of course, a member of that delegation. Sami, how
1: are you? I'm fine, thank you.
0: I was reading your reflection that you put out um, recently on the Patriarch's visit. And what I found particularly interesting is that you mentioned the emotional impact as potentially more disturbing than the physical damage. Can you just expand on that a bit for us? Sure. I I
1: think what uh, the people of Gaza went through was a a continuous uh, bombardment uh, over a period of uh, 11 days, which was 24 7, and it was uh, quite intense. Uh, so people really uh, are emotionally, I think, uh, affected dramatically by the experience. Uh, and you can tell it by just you know listening to people uh, sitting down with them and the mood swings that you see across all age groups actually you know you're not talking about children these are the most vulnerable in the sense that they don't understand what's going on the dangers and so on but you're talking about adults and and even the elderly who have been through four wars so far i mean the elderly vividly of course the youth uh, the younger kids, of course, some of them, this may be their first experience, uh, keeping in mind that the previous one was 2014. So, you know, anyone born then actually is about seven years old now, and this is their first experience. So so you see the mood swings. You, you actually see here the fear in their voice, the lack of any stability in their lives, uh, the helplessness that they feel, the sort of the more open acknowledgement that uh, if the borders are open, uh, No one should blame us if we decide to pack up and leave uh, a one-way ticket out of Gaza, in a sense, because they have seen so much, uh, in a sense, and every time they are hopeful that uh, this is the last cycle, we're ending this, we're moving on, and thus, you know... uh, Gaza may be on some sort of a trajectory that would have, would see some economic development, some stability, but that, you know, is shattered every few years. So the continued uh, recurrence of these uh, wars every few years, in a sense, uh, each one of them is more devastating regardless of the period of time. Each one creates more destruction. uh, That really they got to a point that they are extremely tired. uh, And thus, really, you, you can sense it by just. Talking to them, listening to their stories, uh, listening to the severe insecurity that they go through, not knowing what will be next during an active war and even after a war with a very fragile ceasefire at the present time, whether the hostilities will return. So even you know if we have supported them with fixing their immediate uh, damages in their homes, you know how long will that last? It's just a matter of a few weeks, a few months. When one will we have to fix our homes and damages again and? the severity of that
0: situation. I mean I've been to Gaza just once a little over 24 hours just one night and it's almost impossible to have a visit to Gaza and not be impacted every step of the way isn't it because from the Eres crossing you have a long long way into Gaza you get handed over from the Palestinian Authority to Hamas and even getting in feels quite traumatizing and that's for a Westerner you know that isn't particularly restricted beyond those borders of course and you think the blockade has, has been going on since 2007 and even in 24 hours you get a sense of the life don't you even if it's impossible to fully empathize with what it's like for for gazans on a daily basis but you hear sort of buzzing in the air and there's this everything feels slightly threatening and, and uncertain doesn't it so it, if you're a young child in that environment i can understand totally what you're saying about the, the emotional aspect You yourself experienced, or the delegation experienced, on a a small level, a shelling, did you not? On on the third day of of the four-day visit at sort of just just past 1 a.m. in the morning. Explain that to us a bit so we can get that sense of how people have to live.
1: Sure. It it was a very scary experience. I mean, this is the first time I felt so close to a shelling. I mean, the shelling was about 200 metres, I was told, away from where we were staying, and it was 1.09 a.m., and a huge blast that, you know, all of a sudden you're jumping out of bed uh, and you're sitting in the middle of the room not knowing exactly what has happened. And then the second uh, shelling takes place a few seconds later and you're just, you had just awakened basically. And the more disturbing part, honestly, wasn't the shaking and, you know, the getting up, uh, but it was the the smell of explosives that filled the room actually for at least one hour i mean it was like a dense cloud that filled the room and all you can smell really is, is explosives uh, that that really to the point of choking you know immediately after the shelling you know the sound of the drone sounded like it was in the in your immediate room and and compound that with the complexity of life in gaza that uh, experience was quite terrifying uh, Having said that, the morning after, and then you don't know what to expect. Is Hamas going to retaliate by sending their own and then that there, there will be, you know, a, a new round. And thank God that didn't happen. So that, that was a contained one-time shelling. And then the following morning, you're recounting the terrifying experience, actually, to the people around you in Gaza. And basically they laughed. I mean, not laughed in a sense that they're making a joke out of you, but in a sense they're recounting their own experience, that this was, you know, such a small sample of what they had uh, experienced in a sense that, that you, you really, you know, live or feel with them in a sense. If, if this was such a terrifying experience, one-time experience, can you imagine what it would have been for them really having to live through this on a continuous basis for 11 days, day in and day out, and, you know, night and day? And, and you know... My, my initial thought, what do I do? Do I pack my things and do I put my clothes on, you know, my pajamas? Do you pack your things? Do you put everything in a suitcase waiting for what next? In a sense, is it safe to stay in this building? And, you know, you live it for a few hours and, and then it passes. But if you have had to live that life, in a sense, for 11 days this war, 51 days the previous war and you know, God knows how many days the previous two wars, in a sense, and then have it recur every few years, uh, you know, with a suitcase packed at the entrance, not knowing, you know, whether you will have to evacuate on short notice. Uh, and compound that with the normal things that we take for granted. You know, I, I take it for granted. My phone is going to be working. The internet should be, you know, ready and able to use, and I'm connected to the outside world, and I can move around freely, and so on and so forth. Like any normal human being would experience anywhere else around the world, you take your freedom for granted. You take all these uh, privileges that you have for granted, and all of a sudden you're there, and none of that applies. So it, it's it's just a whole completely different environment you have to live with uh, for, for a brief period of time. I think the most difficult part for us really, as we were leaving Gaza, that you have to say goodbye to the people and in a sense really know that you're going back to your normal life and these people are not going back to any normal life because their normal is, is not a normal life in a sense but has become normal because it has lasted for so long. So for them, you know, going back to a ceasefire situation is a normal life. For me, this is a, an incredibly difficult life and for any normal human being, that, that would be an unbearable life, really. Now,
0: a quick comment on the Christian community, because obviously it's tiny in Gaza. You've got some two million people, uh, maybe a thousand Christians of which make round about a hundred, not many at all Catholics. but. I was very impressed when I sat on the virtual Holy Land coordination, that coordination that the Bishops' Conference of England and Wales organises. And it was virtual, naturally, because of the pandemic. Yet another backdrop for people in Gaza having to cope with the pandemic as well. But I was very impressed with the way that, you know, the Catholic healthcare was providing for for sort of 60% of the population. I mean, our institutions are incredibly strong aren't they and and they do serve the wider community it's not just christian institutions for christians and that's all the more obvious in gaza isn't it
1: absolutely i mean it's such a small community as as you rightfully state, about a thousand christians about 140 catholics or so yet the institutional christian institutional presence and the catholic institutional presence uh, makes a huge impact on the life of the general population in gaza Keep in mind what the Caritas Medical Center is doing, especially during Corona and and the pandemic. Uh, And it was unparalleled, you know, with the mobile clinics that were going around and providing services to the population at large. Uh, Keep in mind what the Catholic Relief Services uh, operations in Gaza are doing, in a sense, being the only entrusted organization that uh, the American government opened up, if you will, during the the difficult Trump years of uh, withdrawing support to the Palestinian people. And they were the only trusted partner of obtaining a major grant from uh, USAID to provide uh, medical services in Gaza and elsewhere, uh, basically heroic work. Look at what our schools are doing. You know, the three Catholic schools, the two Latin Patriarchate schools, the Rosary Sisters school, were the predominantly the, the beneficiaries of the educational experience. With the Christian values at heart and this is important critically important to mention that the education is provided with the Christian values at heart Uh, that goes to approximately two and a half thousand people in a sense most of them are non-Christian so the Christians are not necessarily the beneficiaries the main beneficiaries of the services of our Christian institutions which are to be considered really the backbone of that Christian presence in Gaza and yet we're very happy to do it, and it's visible, and people appreciate it and, and recognize it, uh, whether it's in health, whether it's in social services, whether it's in education. And on top of that, uh, of course, uh, Yani, I'm proud to say that the most active parish of all of our Latin Patriarchate uh, parishes is our smallest parish being in Gaza. You go to the parish and every day there are pastoral activities, whether, you know, support activities, spiritual activities, working with the scouts, working with the youth groups, working with the elderly, with the women's groups, and so on and so forth. And thus, you know, the, the parish with all its activities really keeps the people connected uh, to their faith, keeps them connected to the church, uh, ensures that they are thought about, uh, that they are connected somehow to the outside world uh, through the parish and through these connections as well. So really, I, I think Gaza uh, as Christian institutional presence and as the parish work really is the pride of the Latin Patriarchate. I mean, one of our largest employment program actually as part of our humanitarian scheme is in Gaza. We have 65 people, mostly youth, that are engaged in you know, very active employment uh, according to their uh, specialization, and they are guaranteed employment for a period of two years. It's not only that they're getting a dignified income but they're gaining experience something that they can put on their CV for future employment we're providing training through the Thomas Aquinas uh, center basically to upgrade their skills so that they are better employable in a sense uh, when the time comes where we say we can no longer support you after 2 years so the the work that is being done in Gaza really i think it's wonderful work uh, but again under extremely difficult circumstances. So, so God help us all to be able to continue to provide these uh, you know, services uh, to, to the wider Gaza community because the suffering is great and I think they deserve every support that we're able to do for them
0: now you've mentioned um a lot of christian institutions there and it's you know it's it's actually a source of pride to hear how that little parish is punching so far above its weight with very positive people you know when when i spoke to the parish priest i was i was amazed that literally with bombs dropping his enthusiasm and sort of desire to help was just undiminished in any way i found it hugely inspiring and you've talked about a lot of those places that the patriarch visited that you all visited during those four days. One thing I did want to read back to you in your reflection, because I I, I think it's such an important point, is that, you know, especially in the educational setting, meeting with people that just said, look, let the world know that the people of Gaza are humans and deserve to be treated as such and seek to live a normal life away from violence. And that really, that touched me as well. I mean, you know, it's a point that needs to be made. But I think that leads us to those underlying causes, Sammy. because you mentioned yourself that, you know, 11 days, 51 days. I mean, when is the next bout of violence coming? When do they have to endure this again? What do you see as the underlying causes? And, you know, without being prophetic, because it's so difficult, how can we walk towards a solution, a peaceful solution?
1: As far as Gaza is concerned, I think this blockade, that has been going on uh, really creating a, you know, the largest open air prison, if you will, in Gaza, where there, everything that goes in and out is tightly controlled, whether, you know, good services, even people. This prison life condition must end. I mean, The blockade must end. We all recognize that Israel has concerns about its own security. And I think rightfully so, we are concerned about everyone's security in a sense. So the blockade has to end. Uh, There has to be some economic development that starts, some rebuilding that is permanent in a sense. Some job creation uh, programs in Gaza that are permanent in a sense, that people know that this this is here to stay. And and number one really is to end that blockade and, and move on. And the second tier really is to ensure that the Palestinian problem is addressed. You can't have a conflict that continues to simmer for so long. And no one is talking anymore about the permanent solution. You cannot just continue to shove it aside and create facts on the ground uh, that would sort of preempt a two-state solution. Uh, that must be the ultimate goal. If it's not a two-state solution, then uh, it's the one-state solution that is really the solution for the future. And if that is a one-state solution, will it be a state that represents all its citizens and provides equal rights for all its citizens? Uh, is that acceptable to all sides? Whatever the final solution looks like or may look like, we have to start moving in that direction. And thus, just to continue to put the political solution on hold indefinitely and creating further facts on the ground that would make it a dream practically is not the way to go for the future. Palestinians will be here to stay. The Israelis are here to stay. No one, I think, at this stage is looking to sort of get rid of the other party and thus any prolonging of a just solution that would take care of all the issues for the future. And that should be everyone's goal, I think, uh, whether it's the new administration in the United States, whether the new Israeli government uh, in Israel. There has to be a new vision that uh, this issue cannot continue indefinitely and that there has to be a just solution for the future. And whatever international support that can be provided to move in that direction and end this conflict once and for all, I think is an obligation for everyone that loves the Holy Land, that loves the uniqueness of the Holy Land, loves the city of Jerusalem as, as a city that should be open for all uh, religions, basically, and for the whole world. I mean, we we need to aspire for a better future for us and more so for our children on both sides. Uh, And unless we really start to take drastic steps that would lead to that solution, then I'm afraid we're just going from one cycle to the next. So whatever the international community can do, whatever the local politicians can do, we need to advance in that direction, I think would have to be the, the way to go. The core issues have to be dealt with. So that this, hopefully, what we have seen, is the last round of violence, and then we move on into a more peaceful world that that we all deserve.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and and obviously, you know, our. Uh... Lead Bishop for International Affairs, Bishop Declan Lang, who who also chairs the Holy Land Coordination. He he's raised this publicly with the UK government. I think it it does have to be an international effort, as you say. And and leaders come and go, don't they? And yet it's the it's the poor civilians sitting in the middle of all this that end up being the pawns in the game. And it's very disheartening, isn't it? Because obviously we've been coming to the Holy Land year after year after year, standing in solidarity with those Christians uh, and the wider community, of course, because that's our Christian calling too. But it just seems bleak, doesn't it? But that said, give us a little bit of a sense of how the patriarch felt returning from his four-day visit. Because, you know, that reading your reflection, there were those moments of light, those moments of resilience, those moments of, of helping the wider community. It's it's not all bleak, is it? The human spirit flourishes. No,
1: absolutely. And, and I think uh, he tried to uh, inject a very positive uh, attitude. I think people appreciated his presence for four days. I don't think anyone really has done that in, in recent history. Uh, not even, you know, diplomats uh, or UN uh, or, or whatever. So, so it was truly very much appreciated that he took the time uh, to spend four days with the people there, and he practically visited with everyone, and encouraged and supported, and injected that spiritual spirit. I mean, you know, the the. the I mean, the teachings were very clear uh, during that that week, you know, to, to th- love thy enemy and to try to exercise it in a place like Gaza. How, how exactly can you do that, in a sense? How can you forgive and move on? But yet he insisted, uh, really, that if we want to move on, we have to really be close to our faith, we have to be close to those teachings, and we have to believe that uh, we're not forgotten, that, that the people of Gaza should not feel that they are forgotten, and that Despite all the difficulties, that there will be a bright future uh, for them once we we move on uh, from these cycles of violence. So it was very much appreciated, really, as as a spiritual man to really concentrate on on these uh, areas, uh, particularly because no one else was in the mood to talk in those directions, uh, really. So that spiritual uh, dimension and that uh, final. Mass that we had in Gaza was just absolutely beautiful. You know, seeing the children, uh, you know, with the First Communion, with the confirmations, with the baptism, that, that was the highlight of, of our uh, visit. Uh, I mean, there were many highlights, but this was it, basically, the spiritual. The stay close to your faith, uh, live your faith, so that we truly can call ourselves Christians and, and live that Christian values of the Christian life, in a sense. And the, the message of hope, do not despair. I mean, hope, pray. The power of prayer uh, was was present uh, across the, all visits that uh, that we went to, and thus that that message of hope was certainly there. Uh, and I hope not only that the people of Gaza appreciated uh, the presence, but you know the, the Christian world appreciated that uh, presence as well, because it's critical, really, of a you know the voice of leadership in the Catholic uh, Church locally to be able to also. Uh, say it. But from his point of view, I I could tell immediately upon arrival uh, really that uh, the thing that really touched him the most, uh, and that was clear throughout the visit, was the the trauma that was evident in the people. He said, you know, the stones can be fixed, buildings can be repaired, but can you really repair the psychological damage that these people are suffering? And I, I think he was really touched at the severity and the extent of the psychological, uh, I think, issues that people have to uh, deal with. Uh, and thus, you know, we, we had committed before leaving that we will uh, try to provide as much support as we can to engage into psychosocial programs, whether at the schools, whether at the parish, whatever we can, so that we can start uh, at least help people rebuild their lives uh, and stand on their two feet again and, and move on.
0: Well, we, we all need to raise our voices on this for, for a just and peaceful solution for all, as you say. And of course, we appreciate the Patriarch's leadership. I know he will brief the bishops of the Holy Land coordination, explain to them exactly what, what's going on. And, and I pray that we can be back in the region in January, you know, God willing, and, and Corona under control, I hope, at that point just finally sammy i can't let you go without just you know as i mentioned a little bit off mike about how we we feel quite helpless in the international community even though it's important we raise our voices so what can our catholics in the pew do they're thinking you know it's painful watching the devastation in, in this holy land what can they do to to offer their support prayer what, what would you say to them
1: i think the the power of prayer should never be underestimated honestly so you know the prayers are very much appreciated the show solidarity i think to the people Uh, advocacy is quite important i think you know in whatever forum they can advocate for what is just and what is right uh, i I think for our region uh, has to be done at at various levels depending on their networks depending on you know their connections and so on and whatever material support that they are willing to provide for the people of gaza I, i think you know Everything I mentioned, whether you know we were engaged in humanitarian support and medical support for the elderly, uh, whether we were engaged in you know fixing the damages of the homes that were damaged, whether it's psychosocial programs, whether it's scholarship support for the community that can no longer afford to pay their tuition fees. So the, you know, there's a variety of uh, areas uh, that financially those with the means that would like to contribute to Gaza, I think that would be very much appreciated, but. More importantly than the material support, I think it's the the solidarity, it's the advocacy and it's the prayer. And and I hope people will will be able to exercise whatever is within their means uh, in in those areas.
0: Well, obviously our our prayers are with the people and they're with you as well and the Latin Patriarchate. Thank you for your excellent work and um, thank you for giving us your time and explaining what's going on on the ground. We very much appreciate it.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Sally.